We are in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. I invite you to turn there with me. As I've had the great opportunity to proclaim God's word last time we gathered together it was at the end of Romans 12 now we're going to be in Romans 13 and in September I'm going to back up to go to the beginning of Romans chapter 12 last time when I had the opportunity to speak we looked at how believers should live amongst unbelievers in the world today How do we live amongst unbelievers? Today we're going to look at how the unbeliever should live with regard to government, the government over us. And then next time we will look at how believers should be living and working with unbelievers together. So Romans chapter 13 verses 1 through 7. God's word says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Let's pray. Father God, this is not merely a philosophy. This is not an instruction in civics or government 101. This is your divinely inspired and inerrant word to us today. We acknowledge that truth. And so God, we beg that your word would be clearly proclaimed. God, guard my lips. For my brothers and sisters here and for me Oh God, protect our minds, guard our minds, help us to hear your word. And Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit in in us, impel us to live out that word in the world around us. All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. What Paul calls us to do in Romans 12 and 13 
is crazy. As the world looks at this when he calls us to bless those who persecute us, bless and do not curse, we go, that's not normal. That's not natural. I can't do that. And you're right, you can't. But Paul begins this whole section in Romans 12 with verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, Christian brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It is only through our relationship with God that we can do any of this. It is only through our relationship with God that any of this makes sense. Because the world is going to tell you contrary to what God's word proclaims. You have heard it over and over and over again. And so when God's word comes to us, we need to cling to that and shut out the voices. When we submit to injustice that is done to us, we trust God. But at the same time, that injustice still gnaws in our gut. We go, that's not right. That's just not right. And that is right. That's right that you feel that way. Because God is a God of justice, because you are created in his image, injustice should gnaw at you when it happens to you, and when it happens to other people. And this is why there is government. Throughout God's word, God calls nations to justice, just as he calls people to justice. In Exodus 23, he calls Israel to justice, And he holds them to a high standard. It's really easy to execute justice to one another. But God calls Israel specifically to execute justice on those who you're likely to squash. The widow, the orphan, the sojourner. While God calls them to justice, he declares himself in Deuteronomy to be the one who executes justice over their souls in Deuteronomy 10:18. In Proverbs 29:4, God's word declares that it is through justice that a king will build up his land. And at the same time in Isaiah 59 verses 14 through 15 that through injustice God will be sore displeased. He says, justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. God is not pleased when his creatures do not, do not act justly.
God has a plan, even in a fallen world. And in Romans 13, we see God's plan for government. And it is a plan for man's good, but more, much more than that, it is a plan for God's glory. A lot of you go, government and God's glory, you look around at the governments around the world and you go, I don't get it. But God has a plan. Today we're going to see in Romans 13 that God is glorified in all authority. That He is to be glorified in our submission to that authority and that oddly enough, He will be glorified also when that authority is disobeyed. Let's pray even now that God would guard our hearts as we look at His Word. The first key, and I'm actually going to jump around here in this passage in Romans 13, the first anchor point is that God is glorified in all authority. It is the intent of all authority, it is the intent of God that all authority bring glory to Him. Now, it really takes little evidence to prove to someone who believes in the natural goodness of man that they really don't believe it. They can profess the natural goodness of man, but I guarantee you a couple of questions, you go, they really don't believe it. Do they have a house key? Do they lock their car? Is their phone password protected? After this service is over, all the munchkins are probably going to boogie on over to the room next door, set up the walls, and play Gaga Ball. It only takes about 10 minutes of watching Gaga Ball to see the microcosm of why government is needed. Man left to himself will exert his will and encroach upon the life of others. As much as we like to think that we can restrain ourselves and the power and and, in truth, the power of the Christian life has served our nation well for the its first 160 years. Man restraining himself really. There is no law. There's no law required if man is restraining himself and for the Christian man, that is what takes place. So there should not be much need for law. But if man is unrestrained, if we cannot restrain ourselves, we will soon be stepping on the toes of our neighbor. And so God has provided fallen humanity a form. Think of, I got this water bottle here. The water is contained in it very nicely. The water bottle is the government. The water is the people. You take the bottle away and the water will be all over the floor. It will be everywhere. Paul told Timothy in his first letter to him, chapter 1 and verse 9, that law is for the lawless. Law is for the lawless. If all creation is to bring glory to God, then so too will government. In Isaiah 43, 6 and 7, 
God says, bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. All of humanity, all human beings are created for God's glory. Paul exhorted the Corinthian church the Corinthian church in his first letter, chapter 10, verse 31. He says, we are to do all for the glory of God. If we are to do all for the glory of God, that includes government. How much more than the authorities that he places over humanity? Romans chapter 9, verse 17, Paul says that, Scripture says, that's what he says, for Scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you. And that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So we can go, we can assent that then government ought to be for God's glory as well. But does God really appoint all authorities? Paul could not be more plain. There is no authority except from God. Chapter 13, verse 1 of Romans. No parent becomes a parent outside of God's sovereign hand. No chicken cooker at Chick-fil-A can become the manager apart from God's sovereign hand. No man or no woman is elected to public office apart from God's design. No player can become the captain of his team, no officer, the commander of his unit, no pastor, the shepherd of his congregation, None. That's what it says. Those that exist, if there is an authority, those that exist, if there is an authority, it has been instituted by God. If it exists, it is by God's will. If it exists, it is for His purposes. Every one. There's some neat stuff in this chapter in Greek. And I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not, I'm not a Greek scholar. The word here that God instituted means he appointed, he arranged. The word is tasso. The word is tasso, to arrange. When he says in chapter 1, or chapter 13, verse 1, to be subject, that word is upotasso means to arrange yourself underneath. To arrange yourself underneath. To resist the authority is antitasso. To arrange yourself against. Like if you were an army, you would arrange yourself against. So in this chapter, Paul uses that same word over and over again with different prefixes to emphasize his point. Here he is pointing out that God has arranged government as he sees fit. Now we go, why is this needful? Can't I do it myself? Can't I take care of myself? No, you can't. As I highlight Gaga Ball over on my left and your right, as you flip through Scripture, 
it doesn't take long to realize that man left to himself is a mess. Moses goes up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, and it is not long before the orgies break out down below. They just crossed the Red Sea. They'd just seen God's deliverance with 10 extraordinary plagues. They had just plundered Egypt. And now they are forsaking the God who had redeemed them. Joshua, we see the conquest of the promised land. You turn one book to your right and you end up in Judges. Where there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Judges, the, to my mind, the grisliest book in Scripture. Civilization is humanity ordered. Civilization requires the order of government. Humanity left to itself will be disordered and destructive. If, you're, if you like physics... Think moral entropy. Everything moves to a state of disorder. Roads don't get better. Aldous Huxley wrote that every civilization is, among other things, an arrangement for domesticating the passions and setting them to do useful work. Now, lest you think Paul is very peculiar here in Romans 13, we see this voice being echoed throughout Scripture. He says the same thing to Titus, a young pastor, to be submissive to government and those authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. To Timothy, also a young pastor, he says that prayer should be offered for kings and the authorities over you. 1 Peter 2 Verses 13 to 17, we read that at the start of worship, or in the middle of worship, that every institution, every human institution, he says, it isn't just government. It is Chick-fil-A managers. It is. It is parents over their children. It is. Every human institution, God appoints the authorities. Well, those are just apostles. Well, what did Jesus Christ say to Pilate? Pilate had the audacity to look at the Son of God and say, I have the authority to crucify you. And Jesus bloodied and whipped, flayed, crown of thorns, looks at him and says, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. John 19, verse 11. All authority. Now, that our guts should start to squirm a little bit. Yeah, but what about? Well, God does hold authority accountable. Okay, don't, don't think it's unleashed and unrestrained over you. God does hold authority accountable. 
Now, many would like to excuse Scripture, would like to go, well, it probably don't really mean that God appointed like Adolf Hitler because the ramifications of that are really bad. And so we want to downplay Scripture. We don't have that authority to downplay Scripture. We have the authority to go, what does it say? And it says all authority. The language has not made exception merely for good rulers. So you look at Barack Obama and Donald Trump. You look at Bill Clinton and George Bush. You look at Abraham Lincoln and Adolf Hitler. You look at mom and dad and store managers and pastors. All of them appointed by God. But within these passages, we see that God expects these rulers to work and to do his will. The three words that are used within Romans 13, one is authorities, another is ministers, the other is servants. They are God's ministers. They do his bidding. They have authority because God gave them authority. They are his servants. That's the same word for deacon in the church. Diakonos. God expects these rulers in chapter 13, verse 4, well, I'll start in verse 3, to, to minister for your good. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct. They're not. They shouldn't be. I mean, you shouldn't care. You don't see, you don't see the authorities if you're a good citizen. But to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. Then you'll have received his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. There is a blessing to those who follow the law. There is retribution against those who don't. Verse 4 says he is the avenger. He is there to execute God's wrath. We'll talk more about that here in a little bit. He is there to restrain the evil for your good. You all know what that feels like. You're tooling down Kell Boulevard and you see the cop in the shrubs. What is the first thing you do? Whoa, whoa. Probably come off the gas and then look at your speed to make sure you're not speeding. Unless you have your cruise control set, then you can just wave at them as you go by. I hope you do. The purpose of their position is for human flourishing. Government is intended that there be human flourishing. To provide form and protection. So do you trust God? He says he will hold them to account. His expectation for government is for good and thereby blessing. Proverbs 14, verse 34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to the people. Isaiah 26, 2, Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. Amos 5, 24, Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God his expectation is that the government will bring good. But if they oppose God, God will deal with the nations. That's what the book of Jonah is about. It isn't even Israel. It's Nineveh. 
God sends the prophet to the godless nation of Nineveh to repent. And they do. Daniel is an authority. God establishes him as an authority in the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians and the Babylonians. And we see God bring judgment to Nebuchadnezzar. We see God bring his judgment to Belshazzar. We see God bring his judgment to the land of Canaan. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 4, as God is telling them about, telling Israel about the land that he's bringing into them, he says, eh, don't get a big head. Let not your ego inflate. He says, it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Deuteronomy 9, verse 4. Well, those are Old Testament times. If you look forward to a time future in the Revelation, in Revelation chapter 18, we see that God will hold nations accountable for committing great whorings with the prostitute. And in chapter 19, destroying both the kings and the beast. So if God's going to hold nations accountable, when, when does it play out? And how does God hold a nation accountable? God is going to hold nations accountable in this plane. Nations are not going to stand before God. Individuals are going to stand before God and be held accountable for what they do. So in that sense, the rulers of the nations will give an account to God. But nations will stand and fall in this realm under the sun based on whether or not they are governing in righteousness or unrighteousness. We see in scripture and in history that God will use armies. God will use votes. God will use calamities. And God will use his own timing. Is it going to be in days? Well, for Belshazzar, it was before the night was over. Sometimes it's going to be years. Sometimes it will be centuries. But God will hold nations to account. So if we trust this truth, then we, the second big point is we are called for God's glory to submit ourselves to that authority. One of the greatest words in scripture for the saint and the most hated in our culture is to submit. That is that word upotasso, to arrange yourself underneath, to put yourself under. It implies an equality of substance. There's an equality here, but I'm not going to assert my equality. I am going to submit it to your authority. Many will immediately turn to the wife in Ephesians chapter 5, Colossians chapter 3, or 1 Peter 3. That's valid. Okay, that's valid. But there's an even greater picture of submission in Scripture. And it's not the wife because they're all fallible. The greatest act of submission in all of Scripture was Jesus Christ, God the Son, who did not consider 
equality something to be grasped. But he became a servant. He submitted himself to the will of God the Father. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, just exalts that point. He humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus declared in John chapter 4, verse 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. My nourishment, my delight is to do God's will. The Father's will, my Father's will. In John, John chapter 6, verse 38, he says, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Why did God put them over us? We've already noted that it's for our good. We've already noted that it's for our need. We know that children are called to obey their parents. They aren't submitting. They're called to obey. You know, you just, yes, sir. Okay, there's no equality. It's, it's just you obey. You obey them. It's different. As a child learns obedience to and love for God by learning to love and obey his parents, we saints evidence, we show our trust of and our love for the living God by obeying and submitting ourselves to the authorities over us. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is one of his commandments to us. John wrote in his first letter, chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, by this we know that we have come to know him if, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Liar. Think of the old hag in Princess Bride. Liar. So let me appeal back to historical circumstance. We in America, we are used to having the vote. We got the vote. You know, we are a government by the people, of the people, by the people, for the people. Okay, we are the government. It hasn't always been this way. This has been 250 years of weird. This is not normal. Largely around the world, citizens have had little say in their government and the violence of anarchy on one hand or the fist of totalitarianism are really only a matter of months or weeks away in any country. You know, who's gonna, whose government's going to explode this week? Paul is writing to a church with a godless emperor. An emperor that will kill Christians. And he says, be subject to that authority. Peter says to honor the emperor. So what are we to do? You are to submit. The early church fathers in the second century, right after 100 AD, they highlighted that Christians were among the best citizens even while being killed. 
Justin Martyr challenged the Romans to investigate rumors of Christian misbehavior. He reiterated the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 22 regarding their willingness to pay taxes to Caesar, as well as noting that the Christians were praying for the emperors. He maintained that once the facts were in, that Christians would be found to be moral, upright, and law-abiding citizens who are the emperor's best ally in securing good order. Irenaeus, a little bit later in the second century, about 195, 190s, he wrote in Against Heresies that earthly rule, therefore, has been appointed by God for the benefit of nations, to be a blessing to nations, not by the devil who is never at rest at all, but that by means of the establishment of laws, they may keep down an excess of wickedness among the nations. God's ministers serving for this very purpose. George Washington recognized how Christians could be good citizens in his farewell speech when he said, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and moral authority our indispensable supports. He concluded by saying, let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. How, how can you maintain morality unless you have some overarching authority? So in submitting to the authorities over us in home, in the church, in the marketplace, and in the government, the saint, like Jesus, entrusts himself not to the authority, but to God, who's established that authority. We entrust ourselves to God. We trust his purposes and plans, and we trust his eternal justice. Paul says that we should flesh this out in Romans 13, in verse 7, to pay all to whom what is owed to them. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Pay your taxes. I know a believer who is so opposed to the government right now that he's stopped paying taxes. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. How does that flesh out? I don't hate cops. I can't. I don't hate presidents. I can't. Good ones, bad ones. I can't. I don't hate my boss. I don't hate my parents. I don't hate my pastor. God's going to hold the nation's the people in authority accountable for how they spend your taxes. You're to pay your taxes. We are no longer children. We don't just obey because we're told to. We choose to. We submit. We willingly, heart and soul, submit. It's not merely, Paul says, it's not just to avoid punishment. It is for conscience sake. We don't do it just to avoid God's wrath, but we do it for conscience sake. Because it's the right thing to do. We train our conscience to do the right thing. Much of what appears on social media today is demonic. 
It's wicked. Please speak against positions, but do it with grace and truth. Honor the man or the woman for their position. Honor them as an image bearer of the living God. Honor your boss. Love your parents. No God gives a special blessing. In Ephesians chapter 6, you see children get a special blessing for obeying their parent. The only command with a promise. Go the speed limit. So in our subjection, God is glorified as his children obey his word. But when authority is opposed, even then God will be glorified also. Paul makes plain in verse 2 that to oppose an authority is is to oppose what God has appointed. You are arranging yourself in a battle line against the authority and you are in resistance. You are locking your legs, fists up against the living God. That's what it says. To oppose authority is going to bring judgment upon us. Now, I would argue that the judgment here, where it says you will incur judgment in verse 2, therefore whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. I do not believe it is God's judgment here, because he goes on to say in the next verse, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. So that judgment is not of God necessarily. Defying authority is on a rare occasion an opportunity to actually honor God. However, at all times, defying the authority is to dishonor that authority. And as such, we will likely incur judgment and quite often their wrath. Rulers are a terror to evil doing. You should flinch. I mean, authority should cause us to flinch. Where you, you know, you're kind of standing up a little straighter when you're over around somebody, a general. For those who are in the military, you know, it's not like just like, hey, general, how's it going? You don't do that. You, if you do that, you got no comprehension of his rank over you. You don't. He says you should be afraid. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Verse 4, he is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. Be afraid, phobos, phobia, fear. Be afraid. He does not bear the sword in vain. That implies punishment. That implies death. Once again, here in America, we don't see that play out. But in other countries, that's normal. That used to be the way of things. You disobey the emperor, you disobey the governor, that's it. There isn't jail time for you. You're going to lose your head, you get crucified. We'll make an example of you. 
the governor, the authority is to carry out God's wrath in this plane under the sun against the evildoer. That is a good thing. Evil should be punished. That leads to our flourishing. That leads to the flourishing of the obedient. But notice he says, he is the servant. I'm in the middle of verse four. He is the servant of God an avenger who carries out God's wrath. Back in chapter 12, we read in verse 19 that you're not supposed to avenge yourself. And like I said, in kind of the preamble to this sermon, we trust God. We're not going to avenge ourselves, but still there's that. "Eh." Well, there's somebody who's supposed to take care of that. "Eh," And that's the authorities over us. They're supposed to take care of that angst, that injustice. He is the avenger. He is supposed to take care of injustice in this world. Do you trust God to let him so do? God's goal goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, that mankind would have dominion over the earth. And that means essentially form and dominion over one another. That we would lead peaceful and quiet lives, as he tells Timothy, for our good and for our flourishing. And so you guys are all sitting there going, I can't always obey, can I? And I go, no, you can't. You can't. But understand this. Disobedience against authority is the exception, not the rule. It should be rare that a Christian is disobedient to the government. How often did you see Jesus in defiance against Caesar? How often do you see the apostles in defiance against authority? Paul spoke out against the high priest and called him a whitewashed wall for getting smacked. And one of the members of the Sanhedrin was standing around going, you talked that way to the high priest? And Paul went, whoa, I didn't realize it was the high priest. My bad. He apologized for that. But I must defy authority when the authority is calling me to clearly defy God. God has ordained three institutions for human flourishing and order in this world under the sun. First and foremost, primary is the family. And we have the church. And we have government. Three. Three. Family, church, government. For one to oppose the other, or from an in, or for an individual within one of them to oppose that authority is a serious thing. John MacArthur did this last week in his church out in California, where he said, "We will not bow to the government governor's authority." When he says that churches should not meet. He goes, we're not going to abide that. Because God calls us to meet. Peter and John give us our marching orders before the Sanhedrin. Jesus Christ gives us our marching orders when he says, Render unto Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. 
What is God's? Everything. Caesar is God's. So there is a primacy and a priority. But Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, as they were accused and commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus Christ, said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. So he's, he's giving them their authority as having judgment over him. He says, for we cannot speak but of what we have seen and heard. We have got to obey God and you must judge. They get rearrested, and Peter declared to them, we must obey God rather than men. Now, how does this play out in our life? Sometimes we are going to be called to actively disobey God. And that should be pretty clear. When a pastor is called to preach or forbidden to preach that marriage is between a man and a woman, you can't preach that anymore. The pastor needs to say, noted, thank you. And still keep preaching God's word fully and completely. But other times it's going to be passive and you're not going to know. Your company supports Gay Pride Month. What do you do? You may go, well, the centurions fought for godless Rome and were commended by Jesus. Yes, that's absolutely true. But there is going to come a point like folks in Germany where they have to go, I can't go any further. We will come to a point where you have to make a decision. And now here's the deal. You're going to suffer for it. I give you no black and white. Here you must obey. Here you must disobey. It's going to have to be a point of conscience. So when you find yourself in conflict, this is what you do. First, at the beginning, plead with God in prayer and in wisdom. Scour his word. Speak to the elders in the church about your conflict. Understand we must appeal to God's word and not the Constitution. The Constitution is great. And it's a great form, but this has supremacy over the Constitution. When it's time for you to defy, you must do so with grace and truth. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Colossians 4, 5, and 6. You have to also understand that when it is time for you to disobey, you can expect the sword. You can expect punishment. In Acts chapter 5, John and uh, Peter were beaten. They beat them, but they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor. And they kept doing what they were doing, even with the punishment. Now this is going to bring up a whole bunch of, hey, what ifs and how comes. The American Revolution is a classic example. Okay, Understand this, though, the American Revolution was not individuals. It was the governments of the colonies standing opposed to the government of England. Different apples and oranges. When you have two nations or two entities, governing entities. What are you going to do about hiding Jews from the Germans? Are you going to lie like Rahab did? Is that legitimate? Not going to cover that here. Love to talk about it. 
I do love my country. And I don't think it's a sinful thing to love my country. I think it's important that we pray for our nation. I think our nation is a miraculous and peculiar nation. And I think it is because of the form of this nation that we have the freedom to stand against it and go, you're wrong. We can say you're wrong without risk of losing our heads. If it comes time for you to engage in civil disobedience, please be civil. Please hold your nation accountable. Write letters. Vote, speak, argue, campaign, and submit. One of the freakiest things you can do in the wild, wild west of American politics is show honor and respect to the authorities over you. You will be seen as a freak, and God will be glorified in your honoring of him. Then, should someone ask you how you can respect that moron of the opposing party, you have an opportunity to exalt God in his word. We recognize and honor all authority as God appointed and give him glory. We rightly and delightedly submit to that authority as unto the Lord and give him glory. And when it comes time to obey, whether it is government bringing punishment and God is glorified, or we glorify God by disobeying that government because it's acting godlessly, God is glorified even in that. If it comes time for us to suffer, we can declare with the apostles, we can declare with Paul that this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Are we ready? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for government. We do. Let it not be a hypocritical prayer in our hearts. Help us to appreciate the forms and the government to put over us. Help us to submit. If we have hearts that are resistant, help us to submit. And Father, when the day comes that we must defy, help us to seek your face and to please you. To see Christ standing on the right side of the Father. Oh God, help us, your children, glorify you in this land. In Jesus' name, amen.